Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. Episode 300. After a few years in software development, the joy of learning new things can wear off as you learn yet another framework for doing the same thing you did last year. The constant learning required for software development can tempt a lot of people to leave the industry. If you want to continue to be happy in your career, you're going to have to get used to learning and learning very quickly. In this episode, we're going to talk about some strategies you can use to more easily handle this constant learning and self-development required to maintain a software development career. But before we get started, Will, how are you celebrating episode 300? Uh, I I don't know that I am. <laughs> it's just mainly uh, just knows the grindstone right now, man. Uh, there's been a lot of interesting stuff going on. Actually, going back through a bunch of Angular stuff and trying to hit the weak spots. Yeah, I'm like, I'm not real sure how these pieces work. Like, you know, some of the stuff with filters and guards and those kind of things, and some of the routing pieces. I'm like, ah, I don't know how that works really. You know, at a deep level. And so I'm trying to get back into that. I'm still far and away the biggest user of Pluralsight at work. I think I'm ahead of the next person by like 40 or 50%. <laughs> and that's on a big team, right? Like there's 20 some odd people. So yeah, just been doing that. And we were kind of talking on here before about you know some upcoming stuff on the podcast. I'm really excited about that and trying to close some open loops on various things before we get into that mess. I need to finish the podcast website and there's three or four other things that have to be sorted out. And I've been putting a lot of them off and I've realized here recently that I need to get a little bit more disciplined about finishing things up. So yeah, that's what I'm doing. How about you? Well, I know I talked last week about this. I have been really enjoying my upgraded hard drive. Now I have two terabytes of storage, terabyte SSD for my main drive. And then the one that Will got me for my birthday. By mistake. Uh, yeah, by mistake. <laughs> he was meaning to replace the main drive, but he got the wrong type of storage. But it still, it fit where the hard disk was, so replace that with an SSD. So that's good. That's been a bit quicker and stuff. Honestly, I've been sort of cleaning that out uh, the last week. It's been nice kind of going through it and going, all right, you know, I don't need this. I was actually looking. I still haven't done it yet, but I have probably 30 to 40 gigs of uh, node modules. And, no, yeah, well, <laughs> there, there's that. Yeah. Of uh, notes and stuff from med school and like PowerPoints. And cause, I mean, you got to think a lot of those PowerPoints were like 200 slides of images of slides for like pathology and stuff. And so like, yeah, just like these huge PowerPoints. And I'm going, you know, it's been 10 years and uh, I haven't really used any of that since I, you know, it's been less than 10 years since I left med school, but it's been 10 years since I was taking these classes. And I'm like, I might just delete these. I think it's time. Or you um, could like, hang on to them and 
you know, when you pay the student loan debt off, put them on a hard drive and burn it. <laughs> However you, yeah. you feel you need to celebrate something that. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe something like that. We'll see. I might put them on a flash drive or something. They were on a flash drive. I took them off to use that flash drive. Now I'm thinking, you know, I'll throw them back on a flash drive, put it to the side and just be like, all right, they're there if I need to go look at them. But uh, yeah. Oh, also, so for Christmas, my sister gave me an Instapot and I finally used it for the first time. She gave me a cookbook for my birthday. And I'm like, yeah, I still haven't even, you know, taken it out of the box yet. I want to. I just, so when she gave me the cookbook, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. And uh, then we had uh, a couple of people at church, like Amanda signed up for this food train thing. And so we were going to make some casseroles. And uh, I wanted to do, my favorite casserole that my mom makes, which involves basically boiling some chicken and then you know, stripping it or shredding it, whatever. And so uh, we did that in the Instapot. It's good for that. Yeah, it, it really was. Uh, and tomorrow I'm going to do it again with some chicken to make some barbecue chicken wraps for us because she gets her new apartment tomorrow and uh, her mom and I are going to go help her move uh, some of her stuff over tomorrow evening so that'll be cool uh yesterday oh dude yesterday was pain literally i woke up with like this ice pick headache in the back of my head and then it just kind of came around to the front and then just sort of stayed the weather's been sort of changing and like we've got rain so i'm pretty sure it was like a blend of sinuses and allergies but uh i took medicine all day long Slept throughout my lunch break, nothing. And then uh, we went and got this uh, the Theraflu sinus and pain, which is what I'm drinking right now, by the way. And that actually like helped it. But in better news, got tickets to see Skillet. April 30th, they're doing a uh, drive-in theater tour where you like go and you sit in like your car. Guess where they're going to have it? I mean, you can look on the outline. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't really have to guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going to be up in Sparta, which is uh, where my parents used to live years ago. And so it's going to be cool to go back up there because I've been to that drive-in theater many, many times. So that's really cool. I actually know the guy who built the RF transmitter for him. So that's kind of cool. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be a, a lot of fun. Saving money is hard, especially when you just spent a few hundred dollars on uh, concert tickets to take your girlfriend to see her favorite band. Lucas Casades is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Yeah, and just like us here at the podcast, he focuses on helping you not only establish a real plan, but to take action so that you can live your best life. Investing in financial planning services really comes down to whether or not you can improve your finances with the help of Level Up. The compounding impact of making better financial decisions will easily pay for itself. Yeah, and one of the cool things is that Lucas is a fiduciary for his clients. So that means that he's not here to sell you a product, but instead his goal is to help you move to a better financial situation. And you can find more fun resources and learn more about the whole process at levelupfinancialplanning.com.
One of the biggest challenges you'll face in a long-term tech career is the constant change that occurs. While we often joke about the rate of change in the JavaScript space, the fact is that nearly every sector of technology is undergoing rapid change all the time, and the rate of change is accelerating. While it wasn't bad 20 plus years ago, back when the old man over here started, this is definitely something that has become a worse problem in more recent years. In the 90s, back in my day, sonny, you could learn a new programming language to a reasonable degree of competence and have a career for years before you had to deal with major changes in the technology. Yeah, it's interesting that you mention it with uh, that particular voice because I do, in fact, shake my fist at the cloud on occasion. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. The 90s were almost 30 years ago. Actually, some of the 90s were 30 years ago. (laughs) I just don't want to admit it. Now, you might learn a brand new JavaScript framework and find out that you have to adapt to major changes in it within six months to a year. In addition to framework changes, the way we write, edit, and work with code is constantly changing. In addition to improving things like source control practices, agile processes, QA, continuous integration processes, deployment processes, the list goes on, your team is probably constantly making changes to how they work based on their own experiences. The point is, if you thought that you could just rest on your laurels, you are going to be in for a rude awakening. No matter how hard you work, you will not be able to keep up with the rate of change in technology. Or at the very least, you won't be able to keep up with most of it. The best you can do is to keep up with the stuff that you actually need to do your job. However, even then, your job is probably also changing rather quickly. So it can be tricky to determine what you need to learn before you need it. Instead, you're going to find yourself constantly adapting to changing circumstances and having to make quick decisions about what to learn. In this episode, we'll discuss the ways that you can adapt to the rapid change in tech so that you can not only survive the rapid rate of change, but so that you can actually thrive. Adapting to a dynamic, rapidly changing environment requires that you change not only your approach to learning, but also your attitudes about that learning. We'll talk about how to approach these difficulties in this episode. So the first thing we're going to talk about is to accept that you can't keep things from changing. A common response to sudden change is to try to avoid or bargain with the change. Hey, didn't we have an episode about the stages of grief here? I'm sorry. Yeah, it's either the stages uh, of grief or the 12 step program, depending on how you want to. <laughs> Except uh, you know, because that is the the beginning, right? Is like understanding that you're in a situation and accepting that you're in that situation, so you deal with it. Now, while you can do this for a while or even a long time, in the case of some platforms, like it seems, the lower you get or the the closer to the metal you get, the longer you can stay at the same place. Yeah, eventually, it's going to catch up with you. Yeah, it, it always does. And waiting to deal with change is not cheap. People tend to think it is. Um, I've worked for some companies that thought it was, and they're paying the price for that now. Consider how many businesses resisted getting a domain name and a website when these first became available, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. They could have bought the perfect domain for less than 50 bucks back in the day. Yeah, And today it might cost thousands of dollars or tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars if it's available at all. 
And there's a cost to not being able to shift to changing technology in the early phase. It's not just, oh, you know, the bleeding edge has all the cost and staying back from it doesn't. You're picking your poison. Yeah. And you may not be at the bleeding edge, but I mean, even with, with say that, if companies had maybe not jumped out at the very beginning of the internet, they could have waited a little while seeing how things go and then jumped in or even had some people learning about it. That's the big thing is, you know, Hey, we're going to watch this. Let's have some people like keep an eye on it. And that's kind of what we're getting at a little bit. And here is, you know, how to know what to keep an eye on when everything is changing. It's kind of like you're saying, you don't want to necessarily learn the newest technology as soon as it shows up, but you've got to learn the relevant technology soon enough that it actually gives you an advantage versus it being a cost to you with no upside. Because that's what happens on the other end of that. This also means that you need to make sure that you're aware of change that's about to happen. If you're keeping an eye on things, this is why Will and I back pre-COVID went to as many conferences and stuff as we could. Uh, I go to the ones online now as I'm able, but it's not quite the same. And it, it, Yeah, I don't like the online conference experience at all. I haven't done any. I, I don't mind it that much, but it's not the same experience. And it's harder to get buy-in from management to be like, oh, you want to sit and watch, watch this? Watch your computer. <laughs> yeah. They're pretty good about different learning stuff. And like they're very on board about that. But it's still just like, eh. Anyway, you, what I'm getting at, though, is that's how we've been able to keep up with a lot of things. I remember uh, right when Blazer came out, one of the keynotes at Music City Code was uh, Scott Hanselman. Yep. And I got invited to a lunch with him and one of the user groups. And he and I ended up walking together from the conference over and talking. And he was just like, he was asking me about stuff and like, we're not using that kind of technology. And so I hadn't been keeping up with it. He's just like, you don't know about this, dude, you got to check it out. He was super excited about it. Yeah. Um, but it, what was so funny is like, he's such a polite guy afterward. He's like, I didn't mean to be rude and be like, you don't know about this. Like, I just get excited. I'm like, no, dude, I'm the same way. We're cool. <laughs> yeah. I was actually listening to his podcast today. <laughs> yeah. He is a really, really friendly guy, but it was sort of funny because he was just like, you you haven't heard about this? Let me tell you, it's so exciting. And, yeah. You know, it was just, it was something that we weren't doing. Now, other areas of C Sharp, I was really into and like knew a lot about, but that particular area, I just like, hey, we're not really using this. So I haven't dived into it, but hearing it from someone excited about it was kind of cool. <laughs> well, and I think that's one of the things that Scott does very well and several of the other uh, Microsofties do. They find the opportunities in change, which is actually the next point. Change is disruptive, but sometimes that disruption can work to your advantage. Major technology shifts tend to mean lots of new jobs, jobs where you can be ahead of the pack with a lot less effort than might be required for something older. Well, look at me. My first job after apprenticing with you was basically transitioning or like building new stuff, but on the team that was doing that transition from the older .NET stuff to doing like web APIs and 
Angular. And because I knew a little bit of each, I was able to get a junior developer job, kind of bouncing between the two teams, helping out. Honestly, that was a great start. And that was, for me, I had a very similar experience because I picked up .NET during the beta um, in 2002, 2001. A long time ago, let's just put it that way. And my first job out of college, they were in the process of transitioning to it. And so, yeah, it was, oh, you, you already have done some .NET. Yeah, bring him in. Yeah. And I was able to immediately provide value there. Another thing with new technology is that it can give you the opportunity to change your career to work in a different area. Say a new single page application framework starts becoming popular. If you can quickly build expertise in that, let's say you're already familiar with the SPA concept and the way it's set up. So learning the new framework is just a matter of learning that particular way of doing it. You can get ahead of other candidates in the industry that you want to get into. Right. So this might be, you know, hey, it's not so much that I'm changing to a different JavaScript framework, but I want to work e-commerce. And, you know, I've yeah. been doing internal business apps, but this new framework came out. They want to standardize on it. I can get into positions that I couldn't, you know, qualify for before, but now I'm bringing something to the table that has value. Technological changes can also help you get promoted within your own company if they're planning on using the newer technology, just because, you know, you get ahead of it and most other people won't. Years ago, when jQuery hit and JavaScript stopped being as painful, um, I will say that most developers I talk to now are like, oh, jQuery is awful and painful. Dog, you have no idea how much worse it was before jQuery. Yeah, I do. You made me do uh, yeah, it. Yeah, you do. <laughs> uh, I made sure you had that idea. <laughs> but yeah, I forgot how much of a masochist I was or sadist. Well, both really. But I had a job where we were bringing in all these third-party components to do all the things. And for one of the screens, I was like, you know what? I can do this in jQuery. I wrote my first jQuery plugin during two hours while the person who would have vetoed the decision was in a meeting. <laughs> And stood up a page and was like, hey, here's how this thing would work. And they're like, oh, that's cool. What, what component is that? And I'm like, oh, it's just a jQuery plugin I wrote. And I end up having to show the rest of the team this thing. You know, like that was major feather in my cap. Now, it could have been my hind end if I couldn't have done it in that two hours. Yeah. But it's a great point of leverage if you can do that. Similar story with .NET Core for me. Our lead developer and I both started kind of learning it. and then. She got pulled into a lot of maintenance and older stuff that she knew really well and just didn't have the opportunity. And then when a new project came along that they wanted built in core, I had the availability and the knowledge and they just put me at it. And now I am the .NET core guy. I'm the one training the other developers on it. So yeah, I completely understand that mindset. The next piece of advice that we have for you here is to limit the set of things you try to learn at once. Yeah, take it from someone who wants to do and know all the things. Don't try to do them all at once. Yeah, <laughs> I've had to learn that the hard way myself. Yeah, you can't learn everything at the same time. Honestly, you can't learn everything. You got to kind of be picky about that. You have a finite amount of time. Just 
to be alive. So, you know, you can't learn every single thing. Now, sometimes it's you learn a little bit about something to determine if you want to go further, but that's not what we're talking about here. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is you're going to want to pick technologies that provide compelling business advantages. The tech that you pick might not work out. For instance, I learned VB6 web classes, which was an ActiveX deal that you could load in the browser, but you could program in VB. And I also learned some Silverlight. Both of those things, not in use, but it does give you experience that you can use in the future, even so, because it forced me to think about client server type connectivity and security boundaries. Silverlight, I got to deal with some matrix stuff in .NET that I hadn't dealt with. That was also significantly suboptimal because some of the stuff that I needed was not in Silverlight and I had to make it work and mathematically inclined to a point, but that point is further on the line from where I am. That <laughs> <laughs> was significantly unpleasant. <laughs> Let's put it that way. With this, you want to become comfortable with some ambiguity because you're not always going to make the best choices. And really, you only start making good choices after you've made a number of bad ones. We talk about this a lot on the show here, but learning from your failure. There's a little bit that you can glean from other people, but... Yeah, but you got to step on the rake yourself sometimes. Yeah, (laughs) because it's educational. And I mean, really, I did that, right? The VB6 web classes made me not overinvest in Silverlight. Whatever you do, don't try to hedge your bets by learning a whole bunch of things at the same time. That's a recipe for learning none of them well. And I'll say this, that's something I'm struggling with right now because there's five or six areas that I really want to get into. There's a bunch of the Amazon Web Service stuff. There's Azure DevOps stuff. There's, you know, like deep SQL performance stuff. There's stuff in Angular I need to get down better. And I want to do all of them. And that's just not going to work. I mean, I've got them in order now so I can learn them in a row. But I've tried in the past to do that whole thing where you try to pick up like five different technologies at once. So you get the whole stack. Like I tried it with Ruby, right? So it's like, okay, what am I going to learn? Well, I'm going to learn Ruby. I'm going to learn Rails. I'm going to learn MySQL. I'm going to learn Linux. And I'm going to learn Vim. That was not terribly successful because you run into a wall on one thing and you get past it and you run into a wall on the next thing. You also need to embrace just-in-time learning. You're never going to be able to learn everything you need to know before you know it. While this has probably always been true to some degree, in pretty much everything, unless you're a peasant in a village somewhere and you never leave with the rapid changes in all areas of tech, it's impossible to know everything you need for a project when you start now, most of the time. And honestly, if you get into one where you do know everything that you need to start, you might question whether that's the right project for you because you're not going to grow a learning project for sure. If it's, yeah, you know, (laughs) a work project, that's a, yeah, well, I, I can learn how to count larger numbers of greenbacks. That's how you <laughs> make me feel better there. Well, like a bread and butter project is the the things you do at work to make money. And yeah. That's not what we're talking about here. Although, when was the last time that you actually had a project for work where you learned nothing? Because those are not as common as you might think. Even just little, you know, weird stuff. Or, oh, hey, if I implement this thing this way, it's slightly easier to deal with you know, with unit testing, there's very few projects that are completely irredeemable. Yeah. I think 
of course, you and I look for that stuff in a project. Yeah. I know other people who don't, and so they wouldn't see that. But that's the thing. They don't want that. We're going to make a project a way to learn, even if it's. Yeah. Or there's going to be a lot of podcast outlines come out of it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's, that's probably, that's actually our main coping strategy for most things. So Notice true. that. <laughs> be like, B just been in the Kanban board. Wonder what kind of day he's having. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but that is very true. That is definitely a coping strategy for us. You're probably going to realize mid project, something you want to do or some library can really significantly help you. And you're going to have to learn it on the fly. That's happened a lot. And I have seen that succeed. And I've seen that fail with people where they were not able to pick that up. It's honestly kind of a lot like agile. It's agile learning effectively. I'm going to learn the next piece that I need right now. You know, I'm going to yagni this going to be for a defined length of time it is very agile ish or agile adjacent and like agile there's people that do not pay attention to the actual mechanics and say they're doing it and then they don't do Mm -hmm. it and then they get burned and they think that it's entirely the fault of agile actually i've seen a project where we had an orm in there and i didn't write this but one of the other developers wrote it and then someone came in to maintain it. They're like, Oh, we need to connect to this different schema. Cause there's like a centralized process. And so instead of learning how that worked, they just wrote a completely separate data access layer. It's so convoluted to figure out what's going on. The last time I had to go in and do any maintenance on it, I, tried to get all of that data access layer only pointing to one place so that we could just be like, all right, I don't have capacity to fix all the problems, but I can at least put them all in this one corner. Yeah, that's called cleaning. (laughs) (laughs) Really? That's what cleaning is. It's putting all your problems in one corner. It's putting the mess where it's less obvious. That's Ah. really all it is. You know? The other problem with trying to learn everything you need before you start a project is that it will paralyze you typically, and it will keep you from starting at all. A halfway decent plan that is forcefully executed is pretty much always better than a perfect plan that never gets started. And, you know, I think the the analysis paralysis phase is one of the things that is a real pain point in modern development because you feel like you're going to make a wrong decision. And you're like, well, you know, which ORM do I need? Which package manager do I need? Which way do I want to do dependency injection? Which way do I want to do, you know, and and none of that stuff is like the business value of your app. And people will get completely wound up in that and never start anything because they're trying to find the perfect setup. You've got to get past that. The next tip that we have is to learn how to learn. It's something that I had to learn <laughs> I did not know how to learn going into med school. So I never really had to. It's more like I didn't know how to study. Like I I would say that your problem in school was that you were bright enough that you retained what you were told in the class and mistook that for the effort that was required. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we all had a point in our lives where that hit. I am better at problem solving than 
recitation, memorization and recitation. Whereas a lot of the learning in medicine is memorization and then problem solving from that memorization. I could do the problem solving bit. It was the memorizing those vast lists of things to then use to figure out the problem. Yeah. And doing it on the fly quickly is. Yeah. It's where I ran into the issues. If you had just said, all right, this equates to this. I could have memorized that, but it was like, all right, well, this equates to this, which equates to this, which is one of the set of these that might be on this list that you have to watch out for and make sure it's not on this list to find the right answer. I'm like, I can write code that'll do that for you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That sounds like trying to troubleshoot law. Yeah. A lot, actually. The thing is, is that the way that you learn stuff in school is probably not all that helpful for learning things in a professional environment. Schools have completely different objectives and they have different ways of measuring progress than you do. And their methods are going to reflect that, right? It's not a teach the test thing. It's more like, how do I evaluate that this student has learned what I need them to learn to pass the grade? And my teaching methods are going to try to aim for that, whatever that is. And when you're learning in a professional environment, that's not what you get you kind of have to learn to actually be able to use things. It's more experiential learning, even going through a, a course like a plural site course or, or LinkedIn learning or something like that. Even going through that, you're not really like to quickly learn it. It's you go through it and you build it. Yeah. Or you go through and you take notes on actions that you can take in another project that you have, and then you go implement those. The action has to be there and the rote learning is going to do nothing for you. You also probably find that most skill tests with new technologies aren't that great. Yeah. (laughs) Most skill tests just aren't tech, honestly. There's a big difference in learning something so that it is measurable and learning something so that you can use it. That's the really kind of difference between a junior developer straight out of school and one with a year of internship or something. Yeah, it's that reality. Yeah, they've actually had to figure out how to take those concepts and apply them. From my perspective, and of course, I'm going to say I think this is a better way because it's the way I learned it. But from the autodidactic perspective, I learned the practical first with just enough theory behind it to understand it. And then I went back and learned the theory and I've had a few courses that did that. And they were kind of my favorite ones in grad school where we learned the practical, like the one I'm in now, we learned enough theory to where we could start working with the practical. And now everything theory wise, we're learning it's all right, here's a practical application of this theory. Let's go back and look at the theory after we've made the practical work. It's a good way of doing it. I like that. Yeah. I mean, well, it keeps it from being abstract because you won't remember the abstract. You'll remember the experienced. And then you can tie the abstract to something you've already got. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Effectively. The other thing is the progression of stuff that you learn is going to be different than most of the tutorials that are out there. So, for instance, I ran into this with the Gatsby stuff I was doing. They're like, oh, and here's how you change this this setting down in the guts of Gatsby because you just learned how to render a page. It's like, well, I'm not 
going to do that. I'm going to render a page and I got to make a list page and then I got to make a contact form. You know, the next thing was not the guts. Yeah. It was, I've got something I'm trying to get done. And that's something you're going to run into a lot. You probably are not going to be able to follow a tutorial in a linear fashion for very long, if at all. I like following the tutorials and building the thing and then going in and playing with it. Of course, it goes back to the way I used to play with Legos as a kid. I would get the kit, like my aunt would take my sisters out and my sisters would always make sure they brought me back a toy too, if my aunt bought them something. So the easy thing for them to get was a little Lego kit, a little $5 ones. I don't know if they make $5 ones anymore. They might be more expensive now, but it's a single block. (laughs) Yeah. But they would bring me back one of those and the way it didn't matter what they brought. Like I always preferred the space stuff, but they brought me a race car or a boat or whatever. I would build the thing because what that would do. And this is, you know, my childhood mind was I want to understand the purpose of every block that came with this kit so I can repurpose it to make a spaceship. But first I want to understand what it was originally intended to be. Yeah. See, I'll do that with tutorials and I'll get to a stopping point and then branch out and do some other stuff and just see if I can extend it and then jump back into the tutorial and take it onto the next level. I don't like doing that because I've tried that. And when I've done that, I've gone and done something that changed something that the tutorial didn't address. And then it messed up something later in the tutorial. So like, I'll always follow the tutorial through. That's why before I, do I that. start playing Just, with it. So I can find all the crap I'm going to break real time. <laughs> Cause I know how I am. I can break an anvil in a sand pile on stuff like that. So it's like, you might as well just go, look, I I know when I do this for real that I'm going to be hitting these things. So I need to go ahead and and hit them in a place I don't care about too much. Yeah. See, like my thing is I will do that sort of stuff after I finish the full tutorial. Yeah. Like I won't do it mid tutorial just because I want to get through the tutorial. I'll get frustrated if I mess something up and have to stop the tutorial and be like, all right, I gotta go undo all the stuff I did. Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing you can do too, is you can actually make a Git branch. Yeah. Now I might do that. My thing is also that that's how I filter a little bit. And so the Ruby on Rails tutorials were a classic example, right? You're trying to stand up a blog in five minutes, which was the coolest thing ever in what, 2004, 2005, maybe 2006 timeframe. But the problem is at that point, when you wanted to do something that the framework didn't handle well, you got burned. And I didn't learn that then until I was way further in versus if I had taken the tact I take now, I would have hit that and been like, okay, this is not extensible enough for me to be using for what I want to do with it. And, you know, by the way, Ruby's long since changed and that's better. Like this is early, early. I don't know. Like I said, it's just, it's a different way of approaching it. I'm going to want to go through the full tutorial and then start messing with it because I feel more comfortable doing that. I know several people probably started around the same time you did or a little bit earlier than you who have that mentality. Like I know so many people who have been coding since the nineties who have that mentality. And I think it stems from the tutorials from that time frame. Yeah. Because a lot of times they were broken anyway. Yeah. You know, or you had some library or something that wasn't, wasn't there and there, you know, there's plenty of reasons for it. You know, honestly, it's almost like a uh, a learning PTSD kind of thing. Might be. Might yeah, be. It's a maladaptive thing, but it still sort of works. So 
Speaking of learning PTSD, the next tip we have is to make your learning actionable. If you're learning but can't do anything with that knowledge, it really doesn't help. While abstract knowledge is probably valuable to you in its own right, we talked about that in the last point a little bit, that doesn't make it useful for getting things done. Now, I will say this, I have actually been able to take some of the abstract knowledge, the computer science information I have learned in school and apply it to make my code better. But we're not talking about doing that sort of stuff in this episode. This episode is how to quickly get up to par on changes in the technology. Right. Like at a professional level. Yeah. So that you can do stuff that people are paying you to do. Right. You might typically listen to a podcast. I would assume, read a book or watch a video for entertainment value alone. But when you're learning, you tend to need to take some extra steps. In particular, you need to note down the actions you can take with the information that you're learning. If you're you know, learning in a professional context, not like, okay, I listen to this podcast every week, but you know, I found this episode on this new piece of technology on a podcast I don't listen to, but what am I going to do with it? It's probably not just listen. It's probably listen and take some notes. If you're consuming learning material and you're not learning anything, quit consuming it. Like at this point, you're just wasting time, especially when you're trying to learn on the fly, because at this stage in the game, time is a limited resource and you need to use that wisely. So there are some characteristics of actionable learnings uh, so that you understand what we're talking about here. It's defined actions taken on defined projects or goals in a defined scope within a defined period of time. So it's smart goals, essentially. And well-defined. Yeah, well-defined. Well, I (laughs) want to beat that into people's heads because (laughs) what I'll see when somebody goes, okay, this is actionable. And let's say they're learning OAuth, right? Yeah. Well, where are they going to start with? Well, you know, learn about OAuth and .NET. That's not a real action item. There needs to be more specificity. There needs to be a thing of, okay, am I trying to figure out what libraries to use? Am I trying to figure out, is there a third-party service I can hook into? Am I trying to figure out how it would work on this internal project? Once you get to that point where it's like, okay, now I know there's a scope and here's the thing I'm trying to do with this action note, then do that. But when you just go, oh, learn learn about OAuth. Well, I can read about OAuth all day and never implement it. Because I have actually while trying to implement it. And even though I knew what action notes were, it's just I was not good docs I was reading. And so you don't want to be in that place. You you got to understand that it's like a spec for future work of learning. You wouldn't want a spec that is so ill-defined that you can't estimate it. And once you have that, those goals, the things that you want, you do the same thing that we talk about with our goals. You develop a plan and you structure your learning intelligently. Yeah, I have another, I think, 90-something hours of Pluralsight courses to watch right now in my queue for what I want to learn in the next six, eight months. And, you know, I spent quite a bit of time laying out the pieces and going, okay, this needs to be before this. And, you know, I expect that we're going to use this at work before then. So this video needs to be up here. A lot of people, especially tech folks, will tell you that they don't need to do this. They feel like they don't have to structure things because they crammed for tests back in school and they got away with it. And we all did. The next day you took the test and then you never used that information again. While it will get you through some of the filler classes in school, that is not a smart strategy for stuff that is critical to your career. 
Yeah, I mean, it's funny because that's actually one of my talents. One of the things I'm really good at is learning something quickly. And it's great for when you're like, all right, I'm working on this project, so I need to learn this business stuff, their business stuff really quickly, use it for this project, and then move on. The interesting thing about that is, it's funny that we're talking about this because I was thinking about it the other day. I'm like, yeah, this is what I'm good at. Like, This is what they have me do on the tech team at church. They send me off to learn the new stuff because I learn very quickly. And then you bring it back. Yeah. And I can bring it back and I can train the others. But one thing I've noticed is, yep, I'll learn it quickly and I'll move on to the next thing. And I might not retain it, but it doesn't take me any time at all to refresh. It's like I glance at it and I'm like, oh, I remember what I was doing here. Like I've looked at some code where I had to learn something really quickly and I only used it the one time because it was like a special circumstance. This really weird conversion thing. And then I didn't have to touch it again. And then they wanted me to add a feature to it and no one else could understand it. So I go in and I'm like, man, I haven't done this in like two years. Uh, Read through it once. I'm like, oh yeah, now I remember where I was. Generally speaking, though, if you want to retain stuff for a long time, a low, consistent level of slow learning punctuated with occasional rapid cramming for specific needs is probably going to help you more. Because you think about all the stuff you learned in elementary school, you really got a dose of that at a low level for years because you had to use it all the time. And you're never going to ever forget like your multiplication tables, probably. Yeah, Amanda is teaching high school now because they're making her take all these like college level English classes to teach. She's never going to use the material in them, but she's frustrated because she's like, it's the same thing, the same techniques, the same stuff she was teaching in third, fourth grade in high school. It's just the material is a bit more difficult. The reading material is more difficult, but the strategies to learn from it and to assess it and stuff are the same. She's like, these kids have been learning this and just getting deeper and harder materials on it since they were in third grade. Yeah. And that is how you really learn something. Like how many of us can go sit down, read a book and write a paper on it. It might not be the best paper in the world because we haven't done it in a while, but you know, I could still go write a paper on a book. How many episodes have I written that were literally just papers on books? (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say that may not be a fair comparison for (laughs) us at this point, but uh, it's like um, in school, we're having to do, a paper for this class. And he was like, our options are like this, either a 10 page comparison or like deep dive into something or a three to five page research paper. And like some of the people were complaining about like, I've got all these other papers and stuff to write. I'm like, uh, I could write a three page paper in an afternoon. Cause yeah, that's about how long these podcasts are. If you took the outline and turned it into a paper, <laughs> that's like, I was telling you, I had five pages of Russian homework this weekend. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, look, I've been a foreign language. Like, it's not a problem at all. But I do think there was a time that I would have really suffered quite a bit if I had to do that. So now the whole low level consistent learning, that's how you grow over the long term. But that doesn't mean that deep obsessive study does not have its place, because if that didn't work, your medical care would not be as good as it is. But any med school student will tell you why they didn't have a full time job during most of their studies. Yeah, because that sort of cramming is a different kind of thing than you probably want in your life. Yeah, I, I don't even know what to tell you, man. Yeah, because I that's how I jumped so far on learning the coding stuff is because I still had that 
med school mentality. So I would go work all day. And then in med school, you'd be in class eight hours, and then you'd go study for another six or seven hours. Like I still had that mentality. I can get back into that for a little bit when I need to. I have a lot going on in my life, so I don't typically do that very much, but you know. But yeah, it's not a overly balanced thing. You may have to do it, but that shouldn't be your go-to for learning things in a professional context because more than likely you're going to burn yourself out for something that may not be as valuable as it needs to be to justify that. You only have so many hours in a day and you can only really focus for so long during those hours. After that, your ability to retain new information tends to drop sharply. Trust me, I know from experience. Given that you probably already have a full-time job and other commitments, cramming just really isn't a thing here. Again, if it's, I got to learn something by the end of the sprint so that I can apply it, yeah, but don't expect to retain that. You're going to have to relearn it. It'll be easier the next time to learn it. Well, you'll probably actually really learn it when you apply it. <laughs> that's, that's when it'll actually stick. The rest of the time, it's going to be abstract and not useful. Um, speaking of things being useful, uh, another thing you need to do is take useful notes. Tech folks will tell you that they don't need to take notes. They can remember everything. You should do it anyway. Tech people tend to have good memories just because of the amount of crap we have to deal with. A lot of tech people were smarter than the other kids in school, and they probably didn't have to study as much as the rest of the group. At least that was the experience of a lot of them. But I will say that if the experience of a large portion of your industry is that they were smarter than the other kids in school, you are less likely to be smarter than most of them than you were those other kids. So you're playing the game at a more difficult level. It's sort of like when you get to college and you're majoring in a technical subject, all of a sudden you're not the smart kid there. You're average. <laughs> Coming back to med school, man, I remember going in, at, like one of the first things I told us was the average med student is still above average, still a doctor, you know, but they were trying to get us to not overly focus. They wanted us to focus on grades, but more focused on learning than on scoring. But also, I mean, that's the big thing. That's what, something that shocked me. Like I was used to being in the top five in the class. That was the group I studied with. And we'd like have little competitions to see who could get higher, like get the higher score on the test and stuff. And, but then I got to med school and it's like everyone was in that group, like the entire hundred, like we had a hundred students, actually 110 when we started, but like we had a hundred students in the class and everyone had been in that top percentage of all their classes. Yeah. And that changes the dynamics so much because like your ability to just float and be ahead of everybody isn't there. Your ability to learn stuff where you weren't paying attention while the teacher catches up the slow kids doesn't exist because you're one of them potentially um, if you're not paying attention and yeah, and they, they feel like they can push the kids harder too. And that's probably more like what you're going to deal with in a professional environment. That is. Yeah. So let's quickly dive into note taking. It helps to cement what you've learned better than simply listening and watching. And it forces you to reconstruct the content that you're consuming into a form where you can store it. That's something I've learned uh, with the Russian stuff because she would send me homework and it's like, okay, I can work this out and I can type it. 
very slowly and I won't retain it. But if I work it out, get it all on screen, and then I write it by hand, it locks in. There's something to that that is really powerful. Notes can be relatively sparse and should largely be limited to either tactical things that you can make use of right now or detailed breakdowns of the underpinnings of things that you're using. Basically, go into it with the attitude of, all right, I'm going to extract the information I need from this learning. And that's what you're going to put on your notes. If someone outside of what you're doing looked at your notes, they shouldn't be able to understand them fully because they don't know exactly what you're extracting. Or you're like me and you have shorthand that you made up on the fly. Yeah, I've got that too. It's like this blend of like medical, nursing, foreign languages. Greek symbols, algebra, Japanese characters. Signs. <laughs> There's all kinds of crap in there. <laughs> yep. Uh, Pre med or med school, someone asked me to t- share my notes. And so I tried to create a key for them to understand. And it just ended up being easier for me to type them. Yep. <laughs> Had that experience. Well, you've tried to read my shorthand. It, oh, yeah. It's, it doesn't it's, translate to other people. No, no. And then lastly, under here, if you can't come up with something to write down in your notes, This is one of the reasons or one of the ways you kind of know maybe this material isn't useful and most likely it's not unless I would say you're in the early stages. It's like, all right, I'm in the first few videos of this longer course. Then yeah, a single page application is. Yeah. Maybe you like, you speed it up so that they talk super fast. Uh, On that note, you really, really don't want to listen to us uh, slowed down. It's, Yeah, it's hilarious. So guys, constant lifelong learning is absolutely required for a career in technology. At no point in the near future will you be able to get by in tech without learning how to adapt to constant change. Instead, you're going to have to learn to embrace change and learn to deal with it. Best of all, if you do this well, it will eventually become a competitive advantage for you. Even better, if you're smart about it, it won't be nearly as difficult to keep up with technological changes as you might think. That pretty much wraps us up. Uh, Beach, what do you have for us for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I just love how you have a best of all followed by an even better. So like your best of all really wasn't the best of all. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> I edited on the fly while creating audio. <laughs> just gonna throw that out there. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm messing Mad with skills. <laughs> so Tricks of the Trade. Yeah, yeah. So um, not too long ago... I was working with a guy who was learning new technology. It was the technology that I know. I was training him up on it, and we're working on a project. He was super excited. He's been in development for quite a while. He's a senior developer. Super excited to learn this. But then we hit a set of requirements that just threw him for a loop. And it took me a while because like, I was working on another area. I'd, I'd gotten him kind of up to snuff on the basics of the framework and stuff like that. And so I didn't realize, I knew it was kind of convoluted and difficult, but he was taking an excessive amount of time to build this and just overly concerned about things. And then when I looked at the code, it was a jumbled mess. And I'm like, this is not like this guy's code. I've been working with him for a while. It's like, it's really solid. What's going on here? And it turns out that 
what we were building, he had had trouble with in the past with different framework, different technology. And he just let it get in his head. That's kind of what I want to talk about here is don't let previous problems get in your head because they will hinder your learning going forward. He could not get past the troubles he'd had building that kind of thing in the past to see how the new framework, this framework we were using, made it so much simpler. Like it handled a lot of the problems that he was like trying to do by hand. And I'm like, you know this, you've done this in other areas, like the same kind of thing in a different area of the code. Why are you writing it out like this long form when you know how to do this? And it was because it got in his head. And so basically what I have for you guys for tricks of the trade is when you do learn something and when you run into a problem and you start struggling, don't let that get in your head and make it so that you think there's no way to do this or that it's always going to be hard. Because when you learn something new, that's going to hinder your learning. And uh, speaking of getting in your head, if you guys want to get in our heads We have the Aftercast coming up. You can check that out on Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash complete dev pod. And yeah, I think it's the $5 level that gets you access to it. So uh, come listen to us uncut and unfiltered as we just banter back and forth about the topic. So that's pretty much all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at complete developer podcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash completedeveloperpodcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at Complete Dev Pod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.